Welcome to the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing podcast. I'm founder and host, Sarah McGuinness. The Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, or RO, is a community of wellbeing managers from organizations around the globe. At RO, we develop you as a wellbeing leader, giving you a powerful support network, professional development, and workplace wellbeing solutions so that you can focus on giving your employees the right support at the right time. To be stronger, better, and faster at improving wellbeing in your workplace, professional development is key. These discussions on workplace wellbeing are designed to inspire, share ideas, and raise awareness of important issues we can all take action on. The interviews are recorded as part of our monthly Wellbeing Wednesday webinars. In this episode, we're joined by Liam Scopes, a New Zealand Strategic Wellbeing Manager. Few industries were as impacted by the pandemic as air travel. International borders closed and the ability to move people and freight was significantly affected by the crisis. Air New Zealand has been through a period of significant change to the operations, headcount and structure over the past few years. First, there was a rapid downsizing as the business shrank in response to the pandemic and then an equally rapid growth phase as normal operations resumed. Liam shares his experience on the practicalities of managing the many well-being needs of a diverse global organisation of around 10,000 employees through one of the most challenging periods imaginable. So fasten your seatbelts, stow your bags and get ready as we talk about leading well-being through turbulent times. Few industries were as impacted by COVID-19 as air travel. And with international borders closed and our ability to move people and freight significantly affected by the pandemic, Air New Zealand has been through a period of significant change to their operations, headcount and structure over the past two years. So I'd like to very warmly welcome Liam Scopes, who is Air New Zealand's Strategic Wellbeing Manager, to talk about the practicalities of managing wellbeing over this time, especially for a global organisation of over 10,000 employees. So super uh, diverse and challenging and lots of opportunities and everything in between. Uh, yes, I'm doing one of what really has been an incredibly challenging period. So welcome, Liam. My very first Got it, thank you. My very first question for you is, you know, a strategic wellbeing manager role in an organization is still pretty unique. And so you know, love the title, but tell us about mm. your role and, and how you got into it. Yeah, great question. And yeah, great to be here. Great to be able to share some of our stories. So I should caveat actually, I've been in this role for almost a year. So formerly it was Rachel Moon. So I've been with New Zealand for about six years in the wellbeing team. So Rach can also take a lot of credit for for how we got through COVID and things. In terms of the role itself, so when it was set up, um, when Rachel and I actually started six years ago almost, that we're really they were really strategic and calling it strategic wellbeing because we wanted to actually carve out a little space for it as opposed to being you know traditional wellness sort of yeah approach. And so when we came in, we we did a few things. Basically, the way it came about actually was you know on the back of a tragedy, which was the German Wings incident, which was in 2015, I think, um, a subsidiary German Wings of Lufthansa pilot was a murder-suicide and tragically flew a plane into the side of the French Alps, I believe it was, and lost all lives on board. And so on the back of that, obviously, aviation industry, like, well, we need to make sure this doesn't happen. And so on the back of that, our exec, who had always been really supportive of sort of wellness and well-being, basically to our um, eight critical risks in the health and safety space, added in fatigue and mental ill health. So from our perspective, that was amazing because it put it front and centre that, hey, the the exec and the organisation really see, you know, the mental health and well-being of, of individuals as really important. And if we're not doing what we should be there, actually, it does become a critical risk because of the type of, of work we do. 
I must say, the risk of actually that sort of thing happening at German wings, it's, I think it's 10 to the power of negative nine is the chances, is what our chief pilot would tell you. It's a very, very rare and, and, and slim risk of that. But, of course, what we're more concerned about is, is people who are suffering from some poor mental health, you know, making a mistake, missing a step, having poor communication or whatever that might be, which can have some knock-on effects. So that's sort of how the role's evolved. And, and we look after um, well-being across the business. We look after injury management and injury prevention. Um, and we also look after being in the aviation industry a little, well, not a little, but a side sort of project called the Special Assistance Team, which is basically an emergency response function too. So if there ever was an, an airline incident, we have a bunch of volunteers. Pre-COVID, it was about 250, and, and now it's about 160, um, who actually would respond and deploy from a humanitarian perspective. Um, so what that means is just meeting basic needs of people. And, and, and thankfully, it's something we don't have to deploy um, very often from a New Zealand context. But we do get asked from time to time to support New Zealand um, events. So most recently, Fakati White Island, we supported that deploy and had 10 set members deploy there and spend time in hospitals with people involved, just sort of providing basic needs for them until they could get their family around them. So that's sort of the portfolio itself. Yeah, the question was about my background. Um, so I've sort of, yeah, come always been like pretty physically active and, and that type of thing, studied sport and exercise science and some commerce stuff coming through. Uni did, did a postgrad in cardiac rehab, so a lot of work with people who had a cardiac event and sort of get, getting them back exercising and moving, which was really rewarding. Spent almost a decade of my life, not quite that long, trying to become a professional triathlete, so sort of spent a number of years overseas racing and things and never quite cracked it in the big time, but had awesome experience doing that for a number of years. Um, and then sort of just found my way into corporate health just through some connections I had. And initially, it was sort of like some executive health coaching and health checks, um, then worked for Vitaly Works Health, work, a corporate wellbeing provider. And I guess it works with, with Dan, who's on the line here there. And we, it was around sort of programs and initiatives and behavior change. And so that really, yeah, I really enjoyed that and, and got lots of um, purpose and meaning from that role. And then, then role opened up at e New Zealand. And I was, yeah, started there six years ago. And, and sort of that's where we are now. Fantastic. And so it sounds like such a rich background to, you know, to have come from. And I, I love the story of how wellbeing has really developed in New Zealand over that time. So tell us, you know, pre-COVID, what, what did wellbeing support look like on a day-to-day basis and what were some of the strategic priorities then? Yeah, um, so it was, it was actually great when we got that, that team set up, the strategic wellbeing team. We're a team of seven. Some of them look after injury management and then some of us are more focused on the wellbeing. And I guess our focus, actually, we started with a campaign pretty early on and the campaign was no more green smoothies. And so we really tried to get it out there that, hey, we're not here to provide the fruit bowls, do the yoga classes. And we've always said, hey, if you, if you want to do that stuff, that's a great engagement. That's great for networking and connection between people. But what we're here to do is the more strategic stuff. And so our approach to wellbeing <clears throat> has always been, uh, you know, me, we, us approach. So I think it came from Joe, um, Aaron Jarden at AUT initially. And what that means is sort of a three-tiered approach to, to wellbeing and be that physical wellbeing, be it mental wellbeing, be it the financial wellbeing. So basically at the me level, just really good quality tools and resources and support services for individuals, which I suppose is your sort of traditional wellbeing approach. So we recognize that's really important that if people want to sort of self-service, things are there for them. The we level is what we sort of what we initially did a lot of focus on. So actually I know the people around me probably have the biggest impact on me at work. You know, it's the peers I work with and my direct manager working for that sort of peer support. And more recently we've developed a formal peer support network and a bit of leadership capability and training leaders and managers just to 
know how to have a good conversation with someone and, and what support's available to offer them and that type of thing. I mean, in the US level, and that's where we're really starting to focus on now, is um, the organisational factors, actually, what sort of is the underlying um, framework to support people from physical wellbeing perspective, mental health and wellbeing perspective. Because we, you think of Air New Zealand, and obviously it's you know, the air crew we think of, it's the pilots and the cabin crew. Pre-COVID, we were 12,000 people um, right across the world. I think we had 20 domestic ports and 32 international destinations. And so of that, I think we had about 1,000 pilots and two or 3,000 air crew. So the other 8,000 people are working in contact centres, working behind the scenes the day of ops, like Mark um, on the line used to work in, looking after, you know, maintaining and engineering our aircrafts in the contact centre, in the airports. So a really diverse group in terms of skill sets, uh, the work they do every day, where they're located, how we connect with them and communicate with them. So that's always, yeah, that's always certainly been one of our biggest challenges. It's one of the great benefits of the job is that there's so many different things going on, but challenge to sort of, I guess, connect with them and, and, and do things that are meaningful for them. So, yeah, sorry, back to your initial question. Now, our, 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 from, from the outset, we really looked at actually what can we do in that sort of us and, and we space. So, yeah, looking out for each other, how how we might have that conversation and leadership capability. And in, a, in about sort of late 2018 too, we developed a mental health and wellbeing strategy too. Um, so we sort of wanted to do some real focus in that area. And so that was something that sort of put us in good stead as we went into COVID and something we're constantly refining. I want to go back to the, the earlier point that you made around that No Green Smoothies campaign because it sounds like in the early days there was a little bit of internal influencing that that you needed to do in mm. terms of what the group was about and where you were heading. Did you, I mean, the culture in New Zealand, you know, as an outsider, always seems to be really supportive, as, as you said earlier. Did you find there was resistance or was there was it more around an education campaign for people to understand what wellbeing actually was? Yeah, it was probably that. It was, it was more that educational piece. And then there hadn't, you know, typically before that, wellbeing had sort of fell as part of health, safety, wellbeing, as it traditionally does in organisations. And so it was a bit of a, um, you know, as always, that nice to have. We had a, a great EAP programme ran campaigns from time to time, but I guess there wasn't anyone or a team with the resource and, and capacity to, to really focus in on it. And so that's what we wanted to do, actually come in and just say, hey, this is what we're here for. We're for the strategic approach to wellbeing as opposed to what some, you know, what you think of when you hear the word wellbeing or wellness um, traditionally. So yes, yeah, so that worked really well. And, and it was a bit of um, yeah, a little bit of influencing um, from the get-go. And we did that through a number of ways with videos, with sort of external people. Um, and we, our tagline sort of, I guess it still continues, is how people feel and function. So supercharging how people feel and function. In New Zealand used to have, a, um, our focus used to be around supercharging Aotearoa. And um, so we sort of took that tagline. Like actually, well, to us, wellbeing is just, yeah, supercharging or how people feel at work and at home and how they function and can do their job and live their life. Awesome. And I love that, that use of language. Funny, we just talked to someone yesterday who's in the electricity industry and they were saying, oh, we might start using the term, you know, lighting people up. You know, <laughs> again, it's linking that language. But tell us what happened when COVID hit. What were some of the first things that you had to do? And I can imagine sort of overnight things would have changed. Yeah, it certainly did. And it's interesting, I was looking back through some emails before and it was the 9th of January, we got a message from one of our doctors and he's like, you know, this this flu in China, I think it might be a little bit bigger than what we thought. So we could, um, sort of kept an eye on it towards the end of January. I remember sitting in a room with the HR team going through a pandemic response plan that needed to be updated from 2012 or something. And, and we're going through this scenario and I was thinking, oh, come on, there's no way we're going to get to that point of, you know, laying people off and taking away bonuses or all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, two months later, we're in the thick of that. So they had some good foresight. So, 
yeah, it was almost an overnight thing. Um, you know, like I said, we're about 12,000 people. Um, by probably mid-June, we were down to, um, we'd lost about a third of our workforce, so now lost about 4,000 people. And a lot of that was almost overnight. And we talked early on, you know, this Av geeks and people with Av fuel in their blood and just, you know, that was their identity, that was their purpose, that was their mates at work. They'd come up, grown up with the airline, you know, many of our engineers had come through, you know, apprenticeships with the airline. It was just what they'd always done. They're an aircraft engineer. Of course, I'm going to have a job for life. Um, our airport guys, um, same thing. You know, they'd worked there forever and that was their whānau and, and came to, to work each day. And so it was really difficult just to go from actually, you know, this really sort of high-flying, um, yeah, great place to work to suddenly it was a, almost a bit of a scary place to work because you're either stuck at home and if you're stuck at home, chances are, you know, your job was on the line because who knew what was going to happen? Or if you did have to keep working, like you almost felt unsafe because we're telling everyone else, hey, stay home, it's not safe to go outside. And then we're requiring people to go into airports, to fly aircraft, to, to work on aircraft, um, to keep keep the company running. So I think Greg Foran, our new CEO, sent out a message um, earlier this week. It's been 991 days since we first pulled out of the sh- of Shanghai, which we haven't flown back to yet um, with customers, but that's sort of on the horizon. But yeah, so we had a, just a massive drop in terms of what it normally looked like. Our capacity dropped by about 95%. Um, we're really proud. I think every single day throughout the pandemic, since that first day, we have flown at least one flight. Um, so we've managed to sort of keep that going. And a lot of, whilst we're heavily impacted, I think lots of our people are really proud to be on the forefront of it too. You know, if there's about 400 odd charter flights doing repatriations or flying in masks and vaccines and tests. And so really important work, keeping cargo trade lines going um, internationally and around the country with, with our, yeah, um, New Zealand products getting getting sent around. So it was a massive change. And, and the big thing, yeah, gone from sort of this glamorous industry, especially like for our air crew and that type of thing, to suddenly, yeah, quite a scary place to be working. And yeah, like like many industries, it was equally tough because often people who were losing their jobs weren't able to grieve properly. They weren't able to say goodbye to their colleagues and hug them and have a send-off because they were stuck at home. And then, yeah, a whole a whole lot of complexities around that too. You know, we're obviously pretty regulated and have security and that sort of thing. So getting passes back off, you know, ID cards back off people and, and having to walk through, you know, these real sterile rooms and hand in uniforms and that type of thing, which was a legal requirement. So, yeah, pretty, pretty sort of scary scary times and, and really obviously upsetting and, and pretty traumatic for, for those leaving and also in many cases for those staying too, you know, that sort of survivor guilt or just uncertainty about what's going to happen um, yeah. with everything else going on too. So it's super interesting. So one of the things I'm picking up what you're saying is it was a, as much a psychological challenge as actually just the physical side of it, you know, just that, as you said, that whole trauma of having to step away from something they feel really deeply connected to and, mm. and as you said, it's kind of part of their their identity. As as COVID, you know, wore on, and we've seen this in other organisations, you know, often at the start of COVID, there was lots of excitement. It was sort of novel, if you like, you know, perhaps so exciting for those who had to leave their jobs, obviously, but mm. there was this novelty around responding to this crisis and everyone kind of rising to the challenge. As, yes. as it's worn on, obviously, we've had more lockdowns, there's been more change, <clears throat> it's ups and downs. How have you found that's impacted your people? Yeah, I guess on two levels. One is actually just the fact that, you know, we're so dependent on borders being open internally and um, internationally too. And so whenever there's a lockdown, that has a profound effect on, on what we can do and where we can fly and, and and how people can actually do their work. And so 
whenever there, there was, or hopefully it doesn't continue to be, but whenever the changes were on the horizon, actually that was really scary for people because suddenly it was like, well, now is it my turn that my job's now on the line because I know that possibly not flying for the next six weeks because we're in lockdown and that sort of thing. So that was always sort of going on for people. What we're coming through now is actually, you know, some really great stuff happening, you know, through the July school holidays, which was another <laughs> not quite the right thing to do, but we opened up 14 ports in 16 days. So really exciting stuff. So the world's opening up. People are wanting to fly. If you've tried to book a flight anywhere recently, it's very difficult. There's a lot of people flying. But what that means is we've had a lot of our people have been sort of struggling through the COVID period of a couple of years, keeping the airline going, working as hard as they could to do the right thing. And now suddenly it's like, man, I've got to keep going because even though it's good stuff, I've got to work just as hard because now there's more flights and we need people to come on board and that takes lot time. And so that's what we're seeing right now, just a lot of tired people just sort of staggering through and we're hoping there's a bit of a light there when we sort of cross that um, threshold of having a, the right, you know, enough people built into the business and trained up because I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's much easier to shut down a business and put a plate into storage and let go of people than it is to reanimate an aircraft, which is about four times as long, or train up people in, you know, re- heavy regulated environments or even just recruit people and get people on board. So um, that's what we're sort of struggling with at the moment. I think that's where lots of, lots of our people are as well. Mm. And so if I get sort of down into the weeds of it, what are some of the things that you did over that time, you know, when it was lots of pressure around COVID and things were, you know, more closed down? What mm. were some of the things that you put into place or some of the programs, the initiatives? Yeah. What, what worked and what didn't? Yeah, yeah. So so we identified pretty quickly, actually, what we just need to do is make sure we getting to our people as much as possible, so able to communicate with them. And obviously that was really tough given the the nature of it. And, you know, people in roles like me who have got a laptop and can do some work from home, we can connect them with them. So we did try and do a lot of live streams. We're lucky to have a lot of, you know, in-house expertise. Um, So with our medical team, we had Dr. Ben Johnson, who's our chief medical officer. So he could actually run live streams, answer questions around, you know, what's in the vaccine? Um, what does this lockdown mean? What's the risk of da-da-da? So he could um, answer that on the spot. So we tried to do a lot of that. We tried to do a lot of just general well-being live streams too, just give people some you know, basic tips on getting some some structure in their day. And, and if you're stuck at home, one of our sayings is always, you know, put some pants on, actually start the day by getting up, getting dressed and adding a bit of structure because that's what our brain likes and it doesn't like that uncertainty. So trying to get information to people like that Tried to connect a lot with managers, again, just to be like, hey, this is what to look out for. This is how to have a good conversation with someone. This is sort of how you could be communicating with them. And the other thing we did, and we did it pretty quickly, given the environment we're in, is we developed something called a wellbeing check-in. And so basically, we, we thought, okay, what, what, are we, what are we really concerned about? We're really concerned about people who are sort of isolated and we can't connect with them. We're concerned about their health, if they're okay. And so we developed this um, sort of like an app or an online platform that we sent weekly via text and emails to all employees. And basically, it was just a quick thing like, hey, how are you doing right now? Initially, it was basically, are you healthy? Yes, no. Is your whanau healthy? Yes, no. Rate your wellbeing one to five. And the most important one was, would you like a wellbeing check-in call? And so they could just request one from, from our team or from their manager. And that would be just a confidential call. And so we, we fired that out, like I say, weekly. And that was a really great way. And we our team made sort of four or 500 calls during that period. That was what most of our most of my lockdown was spent walking up and down my cul-de-sac with a set of headphones on and kicking the football while I spoke to someone. But it was a great way just to, and, and many of those conversations were actually just hearing someone out and giving them space to talk about how they were feeling, what was happening, and for us just to be able to normalise that and say, yeah, 
this is bloody hard. I'm not surprised you're feeling that way. And then sort of reminding them about some of the support that was available. So that was a really, um, that seemed like a really good tool for people to to um, to help connect with them and make them feel, you know, even if they didn't respond, it was a chance for them just to say, oh, okay, someone's thinking of me and um, that connection there. And um, that was something we've, we've triggered a few times through the various lockdowns and it sort of sits on our internet now where anyone can re- re- request it at a time. We developed sort of with HR and our employment relations team and our unions um, an Athena fund, so basically a financial um, hardship fund that people could, if they're in hardship, they could request uh, one-off payments for that. So that, that works um, really well. And then just try to get out just lots of comms through like our informal sort of Yammer and workplace channels and, and emails and things. We had a weekly email that went out and it sort of had a focus each week, whether it was dealing with anxiety or hey, his financial well-being, here's some tips and resources to think of it think about yeah so that was sort of the 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 key things i think again just as it always is with our organization and and many of people joining the call just sometimes really hard to get to people especially in those operational areas but particularly during a lockdown yeah and and actually that leads just so nicely to my next question and i was thinking about the diversity of the people that you have what i love about that example you just gave of of those check-in calls is that it's doing well-being with people and not to them it's giving them that option to kind of you know Mm. to to do something if they want to, but also not engage if, if that's not the right thing for them. Which, I mean, you know, managing a diverse organisation, you know, in terms of well-being, yeah, must be really challenging. Tell us about some of the things that have, you know, have been really important in terms of the well-being strategies that you've been putting into place, and what are some of the areas you're still working on? Yeah, and so 100, percent and that's that is our biggest challenge is that it is such a diverse. Um, workforce from you know backgrounds, skill sets, cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, locations, communication channels—you know so many different layers. And so, one thing that we've found is really successful was our peer support network. So, something we'd sort of done a lot of groundwork with pre-COVID. We hadn't unfortunately got it quite kicked off for the first set of COVID, but we had it in place for the second round. And so now we've got about a hundred peer support volunteers, and and they're really representative of the airline. They're from sort of all the business groups, they're diverse in all, all senses of the word, and they're there as trained peers that you can reach out to. They do some training with us, they do some training with Lifeline, they're not mental health professionals, but we thought that was actually another, another conduit to support. So actually, if someone's not super comfortable talking to their manager or reaching out to someone in the wellbeing team if they don't know who they are or EAP, actually... There's that guy over there who I actually know because he works the same shift as me. He understands this work environment and these rosters we're working. So I'll go and have a chat with them and, and get some good advice. That's been really good. And like I say, peer supporters are often a really good conduit into, hey, well, you know, actually EAP can help with that. Or maybe we can have a chat to HR and talk about some leave without pay or whatever it is that they need at that time. And also it's sort of a two-way thing because we catch up with our peer supporters. We've got quite a, a good structure around them in terms of professional supervision and debrief lines and that sort of thing, but catch up with them to hear about what, they, what they're hearing, what's what's sort of struggling for them. So I guess one of our focuses now, and this is what sort of identified for our next step into, you know, as we move through this this sort of phase, is actually just understanding, yeah, meeting people where they are. What what do they need? I love the concept of just sort of removing the pebbles in people's shoes. You know, it's actually, rather than that big stuff, it's just that niggly thing that, man, I have to park so far away from work or the internet's really crappy in this area of the building or who knows what, it's really difficult for me to get in and out of work with childcare. So those types of things. And actually, how can we just take away some of those niggles? Because then actually people can really, you know, think about their well-being. Um, yes, yeah, so that's sort of our approach. Mm. And from a personal point of view, you know, being transitioning through the, the role that you were in into where you are now and looking back over the last couple of years, what have been some kind of personal lessons you've learned around well-being? 
Oh, good question. Good question. Some personal lessons, a little bit of control, circle of control. I think that's a good one, actually sort of focusing on what you can control and where you can um, letting go of things you can't. For me, you know, moving to a management position um, or, you know, people leader sort of position, I, I need to let go a little bit of some things. I'm used to sort of just knuckling down and doing things myself, being a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, people who know me on the call might, might recognize that. So just sort of trusting other people and letting them um, do things has been really powerful. I think I've always been pretty good at sort of, you know, that work-life balance or being able to switch off. And I think that's that's really important. And that sort of st- stood me in pretty good stead during lockdown. Me and my wife always said, like, during that especially that first lockdown, like the weekdays were just manic. We were both working a lot and obviously my role heaps going on, but then the weekends were just magic because we'd be completely off grid. There'd be no one trying to pop around and we'd just like hang out in the backyard or go for a walk in the bush with with my two girls. And so, yeah, that type of thing really helps me sort of switch off, I guess. And I think what we really lost a little bit during COVID and trying to really get back to our team now is just spending time with people. Because, you know, during COVID, you're sort of stuck here and often in this cabin where I'm working right now or in our office space and not had a chance to get alongside people across our business. And so that's what, um, you know, we've got a few new people in our team and they're spending time working in the airport. And, you know, we sometimes do some shift for the cleaners on the aircraft and actually go in there and see what they do so we can understand that and go and chat to the aircraft engineers to talk about actually what's what's good well-being to you what would make things better and just really trying to get amongst those people gareth who just joined our team a few months back actually went and sat in a contact center for a day just to hear the calls and just actually understand what's going on for those people too so i think that's just been a really good reminder to me that that's super important to uh, yeah not sort of assume you know what people need but actually go and ask them and spend time and and, and look at those sort of underlying needs and i'm curious I, I, to to ask what what are some of the things that people say when you say what is well-being mean to you what do people describe it as yeah i mean if we say sort of what is well-being it's often sort of that holistic view but then often if we say you know what would improve your well-being it is that really niggly stuff it's like maybe it's my pay or maybe it's my roster it's having to work not that we do this anymore but you know split shifts or something like that but yeah i'm just i just need some decent shoes one of our biggest wins which i think is a massive well-being win recently is that we've just uh, finally got to a stage where our front of house staff at the airports are allowed to wear flat shoes pushing wheelchairs as opposed to having to wear you know raised heels because man that is if you're walking you know 20,000 steps a day pushing wheelchairs around the terminal and having to do it in heels, that's just, that's not good for your well-being. And so little things like that, actually, those basic things, that's actually what people often identify are, you know, that's what well-being is to me, those really simple things. And if you can fix this for me, man, you'll actually make my day a whole lot better. And then maybe I can think about sort of that upper level well-being stuff. Yeah. So if I think about that upper level well-being stuff, and I imagine this actually happens for quite a few people on the call, and I'm interested because you are in that kind of strategic well-being role, how much, and it comes back to that influencing piece, how much are you able to influence, you know, that really big stuff that needs changing that might take a couple of years to do, that might take, you know, a few different departments or, you know, bring a whole lot of people on board versus mm. some of those, um, you know, kind of smaller things maybe that you can go, look, we, that's a low-hanging fruit thing. We could just get that done. Yep. How do you manage that that difference? Yeah, I think a big benefit has been just the whole COVID. I was speaking to um, an old colleague of mine this morning, actually, and just said, actually, it was, it's been a crazy period and really full on, but also really like challenging in a good way too. It's been really good sort of um, to try stuff and, and feel like you're making a difference. And it's been really great for our team because it sort of put us at the forefront. And so now actually the exec will, you know, we have our chiefs ring up and say, hey, I've got this going on. What do you think? And actually, so 
become a bit of a yeah real player at sort of the table there. So that's that's been good. Of course, it's easier said than done, and, and change always takes time. But for example, New Zealand's going through a big thing at the moment, you know, because why wouldn't you while you're coming out of a pandemic, changing the way we work and going flipping to agile and something called full potential. And that's sort of been going on in our corporate areas for a little while and it's sort of spreading across our business units now. But, you know, the chief looking after that came to us the other day and said, hey, I just want to think about how we embed well-being into, into these you know, sprint cycles and ways of working. And so for us, that's, you know, that that's we're pretty proud of that and really great to see that they're reaching out to us and, and talking about that again wait till the rubber hits the road and see if some of these things are actually implemented but yeah i guess it's sort of i guess one thing that really helps with it is just talking about that real systematic structural stuff you know there's a work safe conference a couple of weeks ago i spoke at just around mentally healthy work actually helping those leaders and influencers understand what mentally healthy work is and how much of an impact we could have just by having good work design to people's mental health, obviously it flows on to you know all those sort of uh, business outcomes which are which they're often interested in too. But just really understanding that, you know, a, a quote that I really like and Gareth, my team uses it too, is it's from James Clear, and it's basically you know we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And I think in well-being that is just so true. Actually, people can have aspirations to what they want to do each day and how they're going to structure their to-do list and take breaks and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, they're going to fall as low as they can to whatever the system allows them to. And so what we are really trying to do now, and this is sort of our big focus moving forward, is how do we just create good systems that people do nothing else? They only fall, they fall to a good level so that actually the workload is manageable or there's recovery time structured and all there's um whatever is, is good support around them, that, that sort of approach. Yeah. And we love that, you know, Ro, we love a full potential conversation. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> it takes, you know, it takes well-being to a, a, a different place than going, we just want you to be well, to going, we actually want you to be well because we want, you know, this for you. Um, mm. Tell me, what have been some of the biggest challenges? Because, you know, from the outside, New Zealand looks like, you know, an amazing organisation with incredible culture and supports and the fact you have a dedicated wellbeing team. But I imagine there'll be some, some challenges you've had internally outside the diverse organisation piece, which are consistent with with other challenges that other people mm. have sitting in wellbeing roles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we always say it's maybe not quite as shiny on the inside as it is on the outside. Um, it was actually really good. Just pre-COVID, we were doing a big push on ex- um, employee experience to match it up to the customer experience. Obviously, so much of our works around the customer experience and making that as smooth and glossy and shiny and um, great as possible and we're like actually why don't we try and do this similar sort of thing for our employees because that would be really cool and so we've done a little bit of work in that space and we're sort of starting to pick that up again now yeah biggest challenges i guess um and many people on the call will probably resonate with this is you know exec say let's do it yeah gm say let's do it cool we say let's do it workforce are keen but then when it comes to the crunch and it's the middle managers and the line managers they're like well we're at odds here because you're saying you want this but we need to perform to on-time performance or we need to get these aircraft out on time and so a little bit of a disconnect there and so um, whether it's sort of educating those frontline leaders or um, empowering them to push back a little bit and that's sort of something that you know Greg often leads from the top Greg our CEO talks about actually if something's unsafe say it's unsafe and, and stop because that's the most important thing we've Finally got to a point where I mentioned at the start, we've got this thing called OTP in the aviation industry, on-time performance, and we've finally managed to get the language changed to safe OTP. So actually, on-time performance, but doing it safely. Mark shaking his head there, he's not sure if that is actually happening, but we're sort of 
getting to that line. So at least it's part of the conversation now. And the other thing is actually empowering people to be like, well, yeah, what are the ramifications if I say this isn't safe and I need to stop? Because that's actually, again, where the rubber hits the road. So I guess that that's certainly one of our biggest challenges. Another focus that we're really looking on is, you know, sort of our vulnerable workforce. We've got certainly a bunch of people across our business who fall, you know, pretty close to that, not necessarily a poverty line, but, you know, that sort of vulnerable line where maybe they're living paycheck, check to paycheck. And so how can we, you know, what do they need? What can we provide for them in terms of actually well-being needs? Obviously, you know, is it financial well-being? It's going to help them there is it one thing we're part of the team is looking at is a concept of sort of cultures of health and so how do we build health care into sort of what we do and maybe that's accessibility to the likes of, of doctors or health coaches or, or that type of thing so yeah that's one of our big focuses as well and then and then just that systematic change i think that's that's our other big one right now actually how can we look at yeah again those systems and and actually make some change there some sustainable change so that yeah, so basically that work is sustainable and people are doing good stuff that they love doing, they're challenged and they're learning new things, but at the same time, they, yeah, they're doing that safely. And actually, I just want to, to touch on that one because I've, I've written down kind of two things around what you were just saying there, you know, that, that ability for people to be able to speak up around that, you know, on-time performance safely, that takes a lot of psychological safety and a lot of trust. Mm. So I imagine that's having to be hard-baked into the things that you do. And are you finding that you have to be quite deliberate about that or or it's something that's sort of evolving? Yeah, certainly evolving. We're, we're certainly not there yet um, in all areas, but something, yeah, it comes down to psychological safety. You're completely right, actually. How, being able to call out that stuff. And, yeah, it's difficult because it's, you know, sometimes when you make a call like that or if you did make a call like that, that affects, like, hundreds of people you know it affects hundreds of customers it has huge knock-on effects which you know actually roll into millions of dollars in terms of you know if it's a an international jet heading somewhere that can have a, a big profound effect so it's psychological safety around that and i guess it's back to those systems actually how do we look at building things in so we don't have to be making those calls sometimes one one real difficulty we've had again like lots of businesses over the last little while is we've had trouble recruiting people as we've ramped up and then we've had sickness overlaying with that as well and so you know, probably seen in the papers, there's been some flights cancelled and and that type of thing. In hindsight, we've said, yeah, we shouldn't have tried to restart quite so quickly. But it's good to sort of, I guess, to acknowledge some of those mistakes that were made and and um, pulling back on it. We've done lots of work, and Gareth from my teams, in particular with uh, Contact Centre over the last little while, because again, if you've seen the media, they've had a very tough ride over the last while, a lot of time on phones, um, which doesn't bode well for anyone. And so you know, we wanted to support them. And so we took a me, we us approach. So actually let's do some training with the consultants. So they, you know, have some general wellbeing and resilience tools at their fingertips. We developed a contact center peer support network, set a debrief line in place for them because they can take some pretty horrific calls. And so actually sometimes they need a debrief on the end of that to chat to someone. And of course, in old days, you're sitting in a contact center with 200 other people and you can look to each other and have that psychological safety and that innate support but when you're stuck at home you know working in your bedroom or at the kitchen bench that's much much more difficult so trying to give them um, a way to connect but then also actually man how do we systems so let's relook at the schedule because if we're flying an unsustainable schedule of course there's going to be disrupts and that's going to come back to them so yeah not through our influence but through the exec actually they relooked at the schedule heading into summer and, and cancelled some flights and changed it around to make it to give a little bit of uh, meat in the in the roster so that um, there's a bit of buffer either way. What else do we do? Simple stuff like put a recorded message on the start of the call. So when someone rang, they were just reminded that they're speaking with a human and please just be 
consider it. We'll, we'll deal with things as fast as we can. And also self-service. So actually, rather than having to make a call, people you know, through the app now can do a lot of that stuff as well. So trying to, yeah, again, sort of hit it at every level has been helpful, but it's, it's certainly an ongoing challenge. Yeah, I can imagine actually, um, I was just thinking, you know, you're talking about sort of almost like customer aggression, you know, that's one thing that a lot of organisations have talked about post-COVID, that mm. people have less patience. And we see that in retail stores. I know some of our, our colleagues who work in, yeah, in, in retail type environments, or those say in councils, you know, there is just so much more visibility now and around these organisations in terms of what's in the media, as you said, but also mm. that, that face-to-face contact and just that well-being impact that that has on people is really challenging. And so it sounds like you've been quite active in that space. Mm, yeah, we've tried to, and it's sort of, yeah, our front of house staff at the airports have really brought the brunt of it, our cabin crew, because, you know, flying is, is normally, you know, a pretty exciting thing, but suddenly you're sort of tucked in there, you have to wear a mask, you might have to show a vaccine pass or whatever, so it's a, could it became a really stressful environment, and our, our crew are extroverts, they're basically there to talk to people, find out about them, help them on their way, smile and talk, and suddenly, you know, their job became no meal service, asking people to put their mask on, sitting down. It was a complete change. And so that was, yeah, really tough for them. And then obviously our contact centres as well. The core, you know, <laughs> you're obviously ringing contact centre at any time, not, not for good reasons normally, but just the sheer volume, you know, that was just overwhelming for our guys and, and trying to, for them, one thing we managed to do and we're sort of still doing work on that is actually just take away their metrics of, actually, you know, how many calls they're making and, and give them a bit of space that if they need to, to step away from the phone for a little bit just to take some breaths or call a manager or, or step outside or something. Yeah, and so trying to do a lot of work in those spaces because, you're right, it's, it's been really tough for those people and people's um, yeah, wicks are a little bit shorter and so those frustrations often boil over a lot quicker than they normally would. What tips would you share to people on the call, you know, in these wellbeing management roles, what are some of the, the things that you've found that have been really important to learn along the way or, or tips you can give them for influencing wellbeing in their organisations? Yeah, a um, couple of things. We've found our peer support network's been hugely successful. We put a lot of sort of work into developing that and thinking about the framework of sort of how that would um, function. So that's been a great network. as a bit of conduit, you know, from us out to the business. We get messaging back the other way, but also just a go-to person um, for people across the business, someone they relate to. So that's been a, that's been really good. As always, you know, just trying to spend time with our leaders too, get them to sort of understand the really simple things they can do to improve people's wellbeing. They don't have to be counsellors or wellbeing experts. It's just spending time with people, you know, showing some appreciation for the work they do, some just understanding for the pressures they're under, trying to role model stuff where they can, how to have those mental health conversations, which, you know, basically just listening to someone, giving them some space and listening. Um, so that's been really good. Like I said, I just really encourage people to spend time with the people you're trying to help or, you know, support. I think that's super important because often we can sit back and think we know what, what they need and what they actually would benefit is completely different. So going out, spending a day with them, understanding exactly what the work is that they do. Now, we a little while back went and um, ran just some simple workshops with the night shift engineers. And just the fact that we took a time to go at 10 p.m. at night to spend an hour with them out on the, you know, the far end of the, of the international airport and sit in a room, they're just stoked. They're like, wow, you know, hardly anyone comes to us at this time. And just spending time with them like that and hearing some of their frustrations and sharing some stuff, that's really useful. And then, and then the other thing I just always, I, I think it's just super important is just that system stuff, actually really focusing on that, that root cause. So actually, you know, what's going to, harm someone from a mental health or wellbeing perspective at work it's going to be you know do their resources match their demands you know what's their capabilities have they got some control and autonomy over their job um, are we looking after the support 
in place for them, the relationships around them, are we building that? You know, the, the sixth one there is that change management piece, which is obviously <laughs> everyone's pretty attuned to now. But um, yeah, just being really super clear with communication and, and letting people know what you know and, and what, what no one knows yet, just being really clear with that. I think there's probably some things that I find, yeah, most useful and, and hopefully a few ideas there. Thanks again for listening today. It's been great to have you along. If you're keen to join the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, head to rowwellbeing, that's R-O-W-Wellbeing.com and follow the links to sign up. If you're in our community, thanks again. And we look forward to catching up with you really soon.